We've been doing more of a, uh, an apologetic series, right? Last week was more of looking at seven frequent mistakes that skeptics make when they say there's a Bible contradiction. That should equip you to say that when someone says there's a Bible contradiction, you pay attention for those things that very likely are mistakes they're committing, okay? Fallacies they're committing. Uh, so that was more of a negative apo uh, apologetics that you're on the defense, okay? But now today we're going to go on the offense to say, why do we actually know that the Bible is true? Why do we actually know Jesus Christ and Christianity is true, okay? So this is just only a small two-week uh, two series. And then, like I said, next week onwards, we're going to look at selected psalms, okay? Uh, just a, a devotional. And why I want to go over that is because just for us, when we get together, uh, I want you guys to make observation first, okay? And then afterward, then I'll also share my insight. So for next week onward, I'm going to be a little more proactive by letting you guys know what are the psalms ahead of time. So you guys could just look at it, uh, just read it on your own, and then just come to share, and then I'll do a teaching from based upon that. But, and then, of course, the main point is to share application also in the end, in light of how do we apply in light of this, okay? So it'll be selected psalm. It's not going to be necessarily in order. I'm just going to do selected ones, maybe the less popular ones. So I'm not going to do necessarily Psalms 2, Psalms 119, or ones I've done before. It'll be, for me, an um, opportunity to look at psalms I haven't really looked at before. But not so much pressure. Where I have to pick like a big psalm and like be like really crazy hard work like we're preaching Sunday sermon, but just selected psalms, just going through lightly through the Hebrew for myself and just say, hey, it's for our own devotional life to love God. Okay, so in light of this, uh, today we're going to look at the fact that why we believe Christianity is true. There's messianic prophecies that show with this, and we read already Mark chapter 15. Okay, we're going to look today at there's going to be 12 messianic prophecies that's fulfilled. During the crucifixion of Christ, during the last uh, few hours of Christ's life, you see that there's incredible prophecies that are fulfilled in Christ's life, okay, uh, that we've already looked at. But before we even go over there with that, uh, I want us to begin first by looking uh, first in another passage first, is to look at the perspective of prophecies, okay, that God's Word revealed that there are prophecies um, with, with all of this, okay. Turn with me real quick. Uh, to First Peter chapter one verse ten, uh, we're going to look at First Peter chapter one verses ten to eleven. Before we look at various uh, Old Testament prophecies that predict about Christ that was fulfilled in the book of Matthew. Okay, oh, correction in the book of Mark, specifically Mark chapter fifteen. But I want to begin this to have a right perspective of prophecies. Okay, will we come back to Mark? Uh, yeah, we will be. So if you have a bookmark, you guys can put it in Mark chapter fifteen because we're going to be going back and forth Old Testament and then fulfillment in Mark fifteen. Okay. First uh, Peter chapter one verses ten to uh, eleven. Could I have some? Ha okay, Josh, could you be able to read Mark chapter one verses ten to eleven? As to the, this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that it would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. Go ahead, at verse eleven. Uh, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating. For he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It okay. was revealed. Okay, yeah. So, verses 10 to 11 reveals that the prophets of the Old Testament, they were predicting about what? Messiah. There's some things they know and some things they don't. But look at how much they know, according to verses 11. They, what they did knew was that he would be suffering, okay? And there will be a glory to follow. But what they did not know was exactly who is this person, Messiah. In other words, that this is Jesus Christ, instead of like, say, Anthony or Tony or whatever else, okay? Or time. Like, is it going to be 10 years from now? Is it going to be 15? Like, the exact details of that, okay? But here it reveals that the prophets knew quite a lot. His suffering and His glories to follow. So we're going to be focusing today on the suffering part, okay? So if you are following with the outline, what is the first uh, prophecy that we see mentioned that's predicted? If you're following along with the outline... Oh, Josh, you have the uh, phone, right? Okay. Yeah. So what is the first prophecy that's fulfilled? You guys have your... Uh, so we sent the link already. You guys got that? Okay. What is the first prophecy fulfilled? Well, the, uh, the prophecy was 700 years before Jesus. Uh, pr number one, what does it say? Uh, silence before death. Yeah, the Messiah's silence before death, okay? Uh, some people die different ways, okay? Some people die different ways... Okay, uh, you probably shouldn't watch it, but I remember seeing some of those video of ISIS killing people. Different people die different ways, right? Uh, some people, on the face of death, it is frightening. I always wonder how I would die, right? 
In the same way, some people would make a big scene, some people don't, all kinds of things, okay? But look at the way Christ would die, okay? In, uh, turn with me to Isaiah 53, verses 7, okay? Isaiah 53, verses 7. When we turn to Isaiah 53, so by the way, put a, a bookmark in Mark 15 because we're going to be turning there a lot, okay? In Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53, verse 7, okay? Uh, let's have Phil read Isaiah chapter 53, okay? Yeah, Isaiah 53, verses 7. Isaiah 53 and like a sheep that is silent before his shear. Shears, good, okay. And so shear and so he did not open his mouth. Okay, thank you so much. Isaiah fifty three, by the way, is prediction of Jesus Christ. Okay? Isaiah fifty three, you read that, that is clearly about Jesus Christ, okay? In fact, even some of the early Jewish rabbi, even up to the medieval ages, there are some that believe this is about the Messiah. Because today, if you talk to some Jews, they'll say, this is not talking about the Messiah, this is talking about the nation Israel. Uh, one, of Israel one of the Jews' most famous medieval ages uh, rabbis, a guy named Rashi. Say Rashi? Rashi. Okay. Rashi lived around 900 uh, AD. He would say this is about the Messiah. Wow. So the idea that this is the Messiah is uh, way back for many years. Okay, The Aramaic Targums say this is the Messiah. Okay, It's only more recent history that the Jews say it's not the Messiah. You know why? They have a big interest and a bias. Because if they're not going to believe Jesus Christ is the Messiah, and you read Isaiah 53, this looks like it's fulfilled by Jesus Christ. They're going to rule it out and say, oh, this is not about the Messiah. This is talking about the Jewish people being persecuted. Okay? Notice in verses 7, how many times does it say he, the Messiah did not open his mouth? How many times does it say he did not open his mouth? Twice, okay? Twice, okay? It said this in the beginning part. Uh, and also towards the end, okay? Mm -hmm. So beginning and end, it says, he did not open his mouth, okay? Yeah. So this shows that the Messiah, when he suffers, in his suffering, he will not, what? Uh, open oh, his mouth. mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Is that why you're laughing this whole time? Okay. Uh, okay. And this prophecy, by the way, Isaiah, when was Isaiah written? Do you guys remember when we did a survey of Isaiah? When was it written? How many, how many hundreds of years before Jesus Christ was born was it written? 700 years. 700 years. Is predicted the Messiah would die and suffer without opening his mouth. Okay, keep in mind that when we do something, uh, sometimes when we do something wrong, do we defend ourselves? Yes. Okay. By the way, when we're innocent, do we even protest even more? Okay. Yes. Okay. So my daughters are at this age where sometimes we say, "Hey, who's fighting?" And every one of them are saying, "It isn't me." Right. Sometimes I love how my little daughter says, uh, "I'll be doing my work," and I hear. In my office, da, 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 and open the knock on the door. Boom! Push the door. I said, "I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong." I said, "Oh, okay. What did you guys do wrong?" Okay. So I bring this to say is that we often defend ourselves when we're innocent, and even when we're not. But notice here, the Messiah would do nothing wrong, and yet when accused of wrongdoing, when we're so quick to defend ourselves, he would be silent. And yet, even though the penalty would be one of what death. Okay. This is not a small. Thing. His penalty, what they're trying to push, is for his own death. How many of us, if we're going to be on death row and we're innocent, when we're going to be what? Contacting what? All things possible. Okay? All things possible. Okay? Even if you are in it, guilty, okay? Uh, one of my, uh, when I used to work security, my boss, uh, he was in a really bad uh, police shootout where it was really uh, famous nationwide because the two DEA agents got killed. Two drug enforcement administration uh, officials. It was a drug bust that went wrong, and the the two DA agent basically got killed. Uh, there was a first two Asian uh, undercover uh, drug enforcement officer got killed, and they uh, the the criminals were arrested right away. They were arrested. This is when my boss was, used to be an officer undercover. They were arrested right away, but he said one thing he hated about the legal system is for 25 years, 
These guys were appealing all the time on death row in California, appealing all the time, okay? Until finally, they went up even to the Supreme Court. Went up to Supreme Court on some judicial procedural man manner. It, uh, the court sided with them, and therefore now they're life in prison rather than be dead, right? And he hated that because he would always go back to court, relive the awful thing that happened again and again, okay? Uh, so my boss is a guy that loves revolver. And I remember doing that uh, when we worked. Like everyone said, why would you like revolvers? Because pistol's faster. He says, hey, this, thing, this, this revolver saved my life. I'm going to trust in this. I can shoot better, faster than you guys. And I was like, okay, all right. Anyone else is okay, right? I bring this to say is this, right? I bring this to say that guilty people defend so much possibly because of the possibility of death. How much more innocent also as well. But here Jesus Christ on the side would be silent to go on to what? Death itself, okay? For our to save us from our sins, okay? So it, we see this fulfilled. Turn with me to Mark chapter 15, verses 4 to 5. Mark chapter 15, verses 4 to 5. Uh, could I have uh, Anthony read verses 4 to 5 out loud? Pilate questioned him again saying, You do not answer. See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so Pilate was amazed. Okay, yeah. So when he was being accused... Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea, uh, he's presiding over this trial, was surprised that Jesus Christ would not say anything to defend himself. So did this got fulfilled in Jesus Christ? Yes, okay. Let's also turn uh, with me. Uh, so point number two, let's go to point number two. What's point number two? The first one is the Messiah's silence before death is predicted. And we saw Jesus Christ fulfilled this, okay? By the way, uh, we're not going to go to the second one. Uh, the second one is what? The Messiah would have done nothing wrong. Yeah, the Messiah would have done nothing wrong, okay? Let's now turn back to Isaiah again. Isaiah 53, verse 9. And if I could have... Um, if I could have... Uh, uh, Isaiah 53, verses 9. If I could have Leo read Isaiah 53, verse 9. Okay, yeah, you might as well put a book, another bookmark too, in Isaiah fifty-three. If you have that, uh, okay, or your finger there, okay, because we're going to be turning Isaiah quite a bit, okay. But for this part, Isaiah fifty-three verse nine, we'll see this later again. But I want to emphasize at least for this part is the fact that the Messiah would have done no what violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Okay, are we all sinners? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. Have we told lies before? Yeah. Have we told things that are far from being accurately the full truth? Yeah. Okay. But with the Messiah, it says he's done no violence, not done anything bad, and also he has not what? Even lied with even his mouth. Okay? So this shows the Messiah um, is one that is one that is perfect. We see this from other places of teaching. But Isaiah 53 emphasizes. Now let's turn to see its fulfillment with this, okay? Turn with me to Mark 15, verse 14. Mark 15, verse 14. But Pilate said to them, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucified him. Okay. Yeah, in the way of context, right before this, in verses 13, they, the crowd shouted, crucify him. And Pilate's like, wait, why crucify him? Okay. Right. Why crucify him? Okay. By the way, crucifixion is one of the most horrific ways you could die in the Roman system. Okay. The most horrific death penalty that they have is actually crucifixion. In fact, in Roman law, you cannot crucify a Roman citizen unless he committed the crime of betraying his country, okay? Or betraying the Roman Empire, okay? But Roman law is very clear that only people that are crucified, it has to be a very, very bad sin, okay? And it's uh, usually applied to non-Roman citizens, to slaves, to foreigners, to prisoner of war, and stuff like that, okay? It's one of the most cruel, cruel way of dying. And could you imagine the Messiah was point number one? He would die... Yet, you're going to be crucified, and he could be quiet. Now we see the second thing. He is what? He is going to be accused of this, and the crowd wants to crucify him. That Pilate would even say, hey, what has he done wrong? So even Pilate recognized that there's, he's innocent. He's not done anything that's broken any law, that, as far as he's aware of, that would allow him to be. In fact, I think you look at the Gospel of Matthew, there's a sense where even uh, Pilate kept on trying to strongly insist Hey, I'm not, I don't want to crucify him, right? I don't want to crucify him. Even his wife says, don't do anything with this man. I had a dream about him. So we see very clearly the Messiah would have nothing wrong, okay? 
uh, done nothing wrong. Okay. So the first point is what the Messiah's silence before the death Did, was that fulfilled? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Then we see the point number two: the Messiah would have done nothing wrong. Was that fulfilled? Yes. Okay. Point number three: the Messiah would be whipped. Okay. The Messiah would be whipped. Okay. So from point number three onwards. You're going to see that a lot of this is actually outside the human control of Jesus Christ, okay? Huh? Uh, I think they're using it right now, first, okay? Leo, did you... went earlier, right? Or you were waiting? Oh, no, oh, okay, okay. I'll just... Yeah, just wait a bit, okay? So point number three, humanly speaking, humanly speaking, if Jesus Christ was not God, from point three onwards, this is beyond the control of human being, okay? You might say, okay... Someone could pretend to be Messiah and die in silence. Someone could try not to do bad things and hide all the bad things, okay, and look good, okay? But from point three onwards, these things are now outside his human control of the human part, human nature of Jesus Christ, which I think adds even more powerful evidential value that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. So point number three is what? What's point number three? The Messiah would be whipped. The Messiah would be whipped, okay? Can we turn to Isaiah 50? Yeah, six. Isaiah 50 verse 6. Uh, Mr. Burton, would you be able to read Isaiah 50 verse 6? Isaiah 53 6, right? Yeah, 50, uh, Isaiah 50. Well, 50. Yeah, 5 0 verse 6. Hey, Kim. Thank you. Hosea 56, I gave my back to those who strike me in my cheeks to those who pluck out my, the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting for the Lord God helps me, therefore I am not disgraced. Okay. Yeah, thank you so much. Okay. There's, by the way, there's so much going on here, right? It's, this is speaking from the Messiah's perspective, okay? Uh, I know when I was a young Christian, I was wondering why did the four Gospels wasn't from Jesus' perspective, where he says, I, me, that kind of thing. Why is it a, a third-party witness? Wouldn't it be so cool if we heard Jesus said what his life was like? And we do see this here, Isaiah 50, verse 6. When it says, I gave my back, this is who's speaking? The Messiah, okay? Notice he said, I gave my back to those who strike me. Okay, in other words, they're going to hit him in his back. Okay? By the way, most people, when they hit the back, do they just hit their back randomly? I think most of the times people like punching the front organs, right? That kind of thing. It's very likely he's talking about whipping, okay? Very likely whipping. But before we turn to Mark, I want to call another attention to detail of the suffering of the Messiah. Even before him being on the cross, it says, My cheeks to those who pluck out the beard, okay? Could you imagine? They're pulling his beard. They're hurting him even in this gruesome way. Again, I really believe in terms of suffering of the Messiah, we can never out, like, learn it, okay? We can never out-need it, okay? We need to go back, remind ourselves again and again. Why is it, by, brothers and sisters, we fight sin? It's hard to fight sin, yes? Why is it we need to be godly and lovely and respectful and, and, and turn the other cheek when someone wrongs us, right? Why do we, when a leader capacity, uh, when people wrong against us, we cannot bite back, whether as a pastor or as a husband? Why do we do this? It's because of Jesus Christ's suffering, okay? We need to see this, okay? His suffering. So it says, I gave it back to those who strike me. Was this fulfilled? Yes, when Jesus Christ was with. Turn with me to Mark chapter 15, verse 20. Mark 15, verse 20. Uh, Caleb, would you be able to read Mark 15, verses 20? Uh, big boy voice. Mark 15, verse... Uh, correction, Mark 15, verse 15. Mark 15, verse 15. Wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them, and after having Jesus scourged, he ended in over to be crucified. Yeah, did you see that? He was whipped, okay? Uh, a few years ago, uh, when we were doing Bible contradictions for one of the Saturday, I mean Tuesday Bible study, uh, we considered one of the atheists, they said it's a contradiction, is when was Jesus whipped? Uh, was it before he, uh, he was sentenced to be crucified or after? And the answer is both, right? It's not a contradiction. You could be whipped before and after, right? Uh, but then one of the things when I was looking through this uh, during my study in the original Greek, I discovered there's actually two different words for whip. His first whipping is a singular whip. 
like you know you whip a horse but you don't want the horse to die singular whip but this when you see in mark 15 verse 15 it's actually the word flagellum or flagella it's like the multiple end where it's not just one whip it's a one whip but it has what multiple endings where they flogging right they tied all these glass or sharp object or stones or anything so when it rips your back it's not just one making one mark is there multiple marks if not even ripping your whole skin chunks of skin and they usually do this as a heavy penalty before someone's going to die so with all that ripping in his back could you imagine when they finally put him on the cross and by the way I don't think they sand down the wooden cross could you imagine all those things on the rough edge and he's already all ripped up imagine the pain and all that even before he hung on the cross for any considerable amount of time so this was fulfilled that he offered his back to be whipped for us okay what's point number four if you're following with the outline what's point number four the messiah would be marked Mocked, okay. Turn now with me to Psalm 22, verse 7. Okay. Psalm 22, verse 7. Uh, Phil will read Psalm 22, verse 7. Okay. 22? Yeah, Psalm 22, verses 7. Okay. Um. All who see me sneer. Sneer. Me. Good. Okay. They spread with their lips. They separate with their lips. Good. Separate with their lips. They wag, wag the head. They okay, good. Stop. We'll stop there, okay? Psalm 22 was written a thousand years before Christ. Written by King David himself, okay? And this prophecy, a thousand years, would predict that the Messiah would be what? Would be mocked. Okay, do you see that part where they sneered? They even said they separate their lips and they wag their head, right? Like, you know, shaking with disapproval. In other words, the Messiah would be what? Mocked, okay? The Messiah would be mocked. Do we see this being fulfilled? By the way, remember, from point three, our last point, and this point onwards, you're going to see that a lot of these things are outside the human control. Jesus Christ, if, if someone could be a crazy guy and says, oh, I want to die, and look at me, I'm the Messiah. But you can't control whether or not people will whip you or not. You can't control whether or not people would mock you when you die. Okay? So, uh, so verses 20, uh, let's turn to Mark 15 verse 20. And Anthony, if you could read Mark 15 verse 20. Mark 15 verse 20. After they had mocked him, they took the purple robe off him and put his own garments on him. And they led him out to crucify him. Yeah. So you see what happened is that they were being what? He was being mocked, Okay. Uh, he was being mocked uh, and to such a point they even put what kind of clothes on him? Purple robe. Purple robe, okay. Mockery of him, okay. Uh, so you see here uh, just an incredible amount of heinous uh, mockery, okay. And by the way, these were the soldiers. We're going to see later on also who else was there. The crowd was also mocking him, okay. Uh, the crowd was also mocking him. What's point number five? The Messiah would face mutilation and additional beating okay uh, Isaiah 50 verse 6 earlier we saw that what they would pluck him and they did not cover his face right verses 19 to 20 uh, right uh, they kept on beating him okay they kept on beating him okay so Mark 15 15 he was already whipped and now 19 to 20 additional beating okay let's go to point number 6 the Messiah would have had his clothes divided okay the Messiah would have his clothes divided Let's turn to Psalm 22, verse 18. And then, Leo, would you be able to read Psalm 22, verse 18? Yeah. By the way, this is also from the Messiah's perspective. Notice the my, right? Possessively. My clothes, or my garment, and my clothing, okay? The Messiah would have his clothes divided, okay? This part really moves me. Just even a few weeks ago, I was telling Jen, it really moved me to consider. You know, when you see a lot of paintings of Jesus or statues, it's usually uh, in his mid, mid-size, mid or the middle part of him, it's usually covered with a towel, yes? Okay, that's to show his dignity. 
But when Jesus Christ the Messiah was being crucified, was there garments that covered him? Was there a towel that covered his middle part, his genital? No. But then they say that they plucked his beard, right? Yeah, they plucked his beard. All the painting going to the beard. Yeah, okay. Yeah, they were hurting him, okay? I mean, think about how crazy it is. You're, you want to hurt somebody, you're pulling their beard, okay? Try to pull it out. That's crazy. That's the amount of hatred that's involved. But he was also naked to what? Have shame, okay? Oh, by the way, he bore our shame, yes? That's what Scripture says. And we don't want to picture that. We don't want to go there, right? So the picture of the Messiah, Messiah is so graphic. It's almost pornographic, right? In a sense of, of, of removing someone's dignity, of saying, ha, 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 look at it. This is, this is the worst kind, okay? A, a shame porn almost going on here, okay? Here we see, yet the Messiah's clothes will be divided, okay? Would be divided. Was this fulfilled? Turn with me to Mark 15, verse 24. Mr. Byrne, would you be able to read Mark 15, verse 24? And they crucified him and divided his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. Yeah, okay. Remember this point, okay? By the way, his clothes was being what? Divided, okay? His clothes was divided, okay? By the way, if you pay attention to Mark, if you guys are still with Mark 15, I want to point an interesting observation from just a pretty cool thing that I just saw this morning uh, at 2 in the morning when I was looking at this. Uh, Mark 15, uh, here, the verse we've just read from 24, did you see the part that uh, that his clothes was what? Divided, okay? Uh, was divided up, okay? But if you look before that, what was going on before that verse? They were trying to give him a drink, yes? Okay? They're trying to give him a drink, which, by the way, he refused, okay? Now scroll with me. If you look down with me in verses 30, uh, I don't know, let's see. Uh, verses 30, 36. You guys see that? Someone ran and uh, filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave him a drink. So this is the second time they tried to give him a drink, okay? Uh, they tried to give him a drink a second time. Two different things. One was wine. Now it's what? Just vinegar. Okay? Some of your versions say wine, but it's really vinegar. Okay? Or gall or mar some of your version. Basically something to make it bitter. Basically to help him suffer less. But did Jesus Christ took it? No. He suffered fully with no anesthetic to bear the full pain for us. Okay? By the way, notice after what after this happened. So that kind of parallels verse 23. Remember? they He drank and then they what? Divided up his clothes or they cut up the portion of his clothes then notice if you look back in verse 36 when he drank uh, when they tried to give him a drink again he refused but then he cried out with a loud voice then verse 38 and the veil of the temple was torn in what two, two okay if you notice there's actually a parallel in both instances before he was crucified people were trying to give him a drink when he was being crucified they gave him a drink and then he was crucified and then in the next moment he was crucified to his death and then there was, while he was being crucified, they were dividing up his clothes. They were splitting up his clothes. But when he died, what happened in the garment in the temple? It was divided also as well. Okay? So I think there's an interesting parallel here. I think what's going on here is, remember there's a mockery going on here. They say, hey, this guy could tear down the temple and rebuild it up. Who is this guy? How, he can't even save himself. And now Jesus Christ made it possible the temple veil was torn. But like the temple's veil being torn, what happened to his own clothes? If he was a temple of God, if he was a temple himself, who was God fully in human flesh, the garment was also torn. You see now the Messiah unfiltered to die for our sins. And then in verse 39, the centurion was impressed by Jesus. Yeah, okay, we'll look at this prophecy in a little bit, okay, with that also as well, okay? So, would the Messiah would have his clothes divided up, okay? That was also fulfilled. Point number seven. What is point number seven? What's point number seven? Can someone read back to me? Oh, whoops. Uh, point number eight. Point number eight. Oh, actually, well, I'm sorry. Point number six and seven is almost similar, but point number seven I want to emphasize is divided by lots, okay? Mm. That was also fulfilled, okay? Uh, verses 24 we read earlier, okay? 
So I, I separated that as just to make a distinction and say the nuanced detail, okay? So point number eight, the Messiah will be numbered among the transgressors, okay? Turn with me to Isaiah 53, verses 12. We're back at Caleb again. Isaiah 53, verses 12. If you will read Isaiah 53, verses 12. Isaiah 53, verses 12, okay? We're going to see our eighth prophecy. The Messiah will be numbered among the transgressors. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I will allot him a portion of the great, and he will divide the booty of the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of men and interceded for the transgressors. Okay. This is incredible. So much incredible prophecy here, okay? Uh, it mentioned that he will be numbered with the transgressor. So when he was dying, were there other sinners next to him? Transgressors, by the way, refer to those that know what is right. You transgress God's law when you know what is right and you still do it. That's what transgression means. It's not like, oh, I didn't think about this. Oh, I was blind in spot with this. This is like, you know, I know it's wrong, but I'm still going to go ahead and do it's it. It's not like accidental. Yeah, it's not accidental, okay? Yeah. And by the way, accidental sin is also still a sin because... There's a culpable sense. Like, why would you not want to find out what oh, God wait, is wanting? Yeah, the weight is different, okay? There's a difference is also like, for instance, accidental mans or manslaughter charges and what? Premeditated murder. Different penalty and different kind of charge, okay? Turn with me to Mark 15, verse 27. Mark 15, verse 27. Anthony, would you be able to read Mark 15, verse 27? They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Okay, yeah. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Okay. By the way, I think the word robbers is actually a slang term for terrorists. Okay. Why I say this, if you remember in Mark chapter 15, in the beginning part, there was a guy named Barabbas. You guys remember that? Uh, he was, uh, verses, 20, uh, verses 7, he committed murder in their insurrection. That he was trying to cause a revolution. Uh, the term robber was often a term for those people that want to overthrow uh, the Jewish regime, okay? I think the better way of thinking about it was when, when I was in Iraq, uh, during my time when we were in Iraq after uh, Jin's invasion, uh, whenever we sometimes go we patrol whatever else, we often ask, hey, are you an Alibaba, right? Alibaba means what? Thieves, well, well, reference to the story about the Arabian night, right? And the 40 thieves, okay? And then, you know, and they'll always say that Iraqi people will say, Mr. Mr. Mino Alibaba, right? In the, it was a way of us trying to say, are you an insurgent, okay? But we didn't mean literally a thief. We mean that as a euphemism. Does that make sense? Same thing, uh, same thing like the word Taliban. You guys know what Taliban means in Arabic? Talibi actually means students. Because the original uh, Taliban were actually orphans of the war of, what do you call those war? The war of the Soviet. So these were the kids that grew up, and these were the ones that were taught by Saudi Arabian schools, the madrasa, teaching them in uh, Wahhabi Sunni ex extreme form of Islam. And then now they're growing up, and they say, now we need to bring about a revolution. And we're students of the Quran. We're the students of Scripture. So then they got the nickname of what? Students. Okay? But are they literally students? Not necessarily. But now it becomes a term. For this terrorist group. Same way, the term robbers here. So in other words, these guys were murderers. Jesus Christ was being... So it's not just, oh, you steal a small thing and then they crucify you, okay? That's not what, how the Roman law worked. Like even, the, even being a thief wouldn't be like capital punishment. Yeah, it would not be a capital punishment. You just give it back and maybe arm chopped or something like that, okay? Even the Taliban, as cruel as they are, they didn't kill you. You just get your hands chopped off, right? So that's the perspective. These guys were murderers. These guys were terrorists, if you will, okay? Uh, so now they're... Jesus Christ, when he was dying, was dying right alongside transgressors with terrorists itself. Again, these things are outside his control, okay? Of who humanly, you can't just say, oh, okay, I want to be died next to sinners. It had to be outside his control, which therefore shows this prophecy is so incredible that this must be the Messiah. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Let's go to point number nine. Point number nine, the Messiah would experience a curse of God. Now this part, the darkness of God, man, I want to maybe do a whole retreat one day. The darkness of God is so deep. There's so many things that goes on. There's so many signs that happen with the darkness of God. If we could make it a whole retreat theme, okay? It shows God is present. It shows God's wrath. It shows 
that uh, the Jewish system does not work anymore. It's actually a pronouncement against the Jewish religious. There's so many things. I didn't even exhaust them, okay? But one of the signs of the darkness is actually that the Messiah would experience the curse of God, okay? Now, for this, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 28 and 29. So, where are we at right now, Leo? Uh, we're going to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 28 to 29, okay? Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 28 Wait, to 29. Wait, 9? Deuteronomy? I thought yeah. it was Psalms 22. Uh, we're on a different one. Uh, we're on number 10 now. Oh, we're on 10. Did I skip another one? Yeah, you skipped Yeah. Time. Okay, we'll get back to that later on, okay? But let's go to point number 10 first. The Messiah would experience a curse of God, okay? Sorry, so low, I couldn't hear. You're done. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, verses 28 to 29. By the way, if you ever want to understand Israel's history, you read Deuteronomy 28 to 28, or Deuteronomy chapter 28. It says, if they don't disobey God, this will happen. You will not have, you'll have a famine. Did that happen in the book of Ruth? Yes. If you continue to disobey, you'll be exiled in your land. Did that happen? Like, for instance, in the book of Haggai? Yes. But yet also, God is faithful. He'll still bring you back. Did that happen? Yes. But the book of Haggai, what we looked at earlier this year, okay? Uh, by the way, my, old, my New Year's resolution this year was actually go through Old Testament, both through church and also my own personal life. It's been a very rewarding experience. Uh, we're not even halfway, or we're over a little halfway this year done, okay? But here in Deuteronomy 28, did you catch this? God says as his, uh, when He cursed them, He would even to the point that there will be what? Darkness. Do you see that in verses 9, 29? And by the way, when would this darkness happen? At noon. At noon. Do you see that? At noon, you'll grope around in darkness, okay? In other words, God is going to strike them with madness and also pour His curse in such a point that there'll even be darkness in the land. Mm. Now turn with me real quick to Mark 15, verse 33. Mark 15, 33. Uh, Mr. Byrne, would you be able to read Mark 15, 33? Yeah. Now this is a part that no human being could even control. When would the sky turn dark? It is only solely in the hands of God. And yet in God's providence, in noontime, in twilight, which is supposed to be the middle of the day, which is the most hottest part of the day, the most brightest part of the day, right? My daughters, one of the things I'm teaching them now is science, and my daughters are now so blown away. Because one of their Q&A at the time when we were doing it was they were saying, why is it, Dada, that sometimes our shadow, you could barely see the shadows. It's like, oh, that's because the sun is right in the middle, right? Mm -hmm. Different part of the day. And by the way, that's how you can also see the time. Okay, now look at the Huntington uh, Park or Huntington Library, the gardens. Look at this thing. There's a sundial. You can see time with, and, and time. And this is incredible, okay? And they're like, oh, whatever, okay? But here, do you see? In the middle of noon, the skies will turn dark. And by the way, the curse... Who did the curse befall under? Not necessarily the people all there that day, because some of them would be saved. But upon Jesus Christ, the most innocent man of all, has taken the most violent thing that human could throw at him, the crucifixion as a punishment. And now, the most violent thing that God could throw in terms of punishment is the curse of God itself. When the sun has been darkened, God appears... And now, I could imagine a demonic realm. I think Satan was attacking. But I imagine when God came in the darkness, even the demons would have been gone for that moment. To have seen the spiritual force of God pouring His full wrath upon Jesus Christ. We mentioned earlier, uh, point number nine that I skipped, the Messiah would have, wagged, uh, would have had people wag their heads, okay, abusing Him. That's from Psalm 22. Just this part, you can just look at the outline. Point number nine, all people sneer at me, they separate their lips, they wag their heads saying, right? And then if you look at Mark 15, 29, Mark 15, 29. Those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads saying, ah, 
you for going to destroy the temple. You build it in three days. Save yourselves and come down from the cross. Yeah. So they shook their heads, right? But then verse, uh, let's go to uh, prophecy number 11. The Messiah would cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, please, for this part, please do turn with me to Psalms 22, verses 1, okay? Because I'm going to look at uh, the, the chapter in context, okay? Psalm 22, verses 1. Uh, could I have uh, where we left off at? Oh, you want to read again, Josh? Go ahead, read Psalm 22, verse 1 again. God, my God, why have you forsaken me from my deliverance by the words of my groaning? Yeah. Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night I have no repentance. Okay, we'll stop there real quick. So he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me, right? Um, but before we turn there, I want to look at one more thing. In verses 31, the last words of this Psalm 22, verses 31. It says, They will come and they will declare his righteousness to people who will yet be born that he has performed it. Okay? I love this prophecy because why? Is this prophecy being fulfilled even right now with my preaching? Yeah. Because the work of the Messiah's suffering will one day be declared to even people that were not yet born when Jesus Christ suffered. It will be declared that what? What does it will be declared? Verses 31. That he has what? What does your version say? He has, talk to me, performed it. That is another word that he would have died and save us for his sin. Now, if the Messiah were to die for our sin, he wouldn't say he has performed it. He would have said what? If you have finished something, what would you say? It is done. It is done or it is finished. finished. You guys catch that? The first verse and the last verse provides clue of what the Messiah would say with his suffering. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if he's finished it, hey, it is finished, right? Turn with me now, in light of this, turn with me now to um, Mark chapter 15, verse 34. Mark 15, verse 34. When we turn there, Caleb, would you be able to read Mark 15, verse 34? So he reads this in Aramaic, by the way, and because in Hebrew it is Eli Eli. Okay, some of the other versions say Eli Eli. Uh, some people say it's you know like is it Aramaic or Hebrew? Why can't it be both? Also, possibility, right? Jesus would have probably spoken Hebrew, suffering. When you're suffering, that I don't think he might not even have just said it once. He might have said it multiple times. Okay. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Has this prophecy been fulfilled? Mm -hmm. Yes, okay. And then let's go to point number 12. Point number, prophecy number 12, what's prophecy number 12? What's prophecy number 12? Josh, what is prophecy number 12? Prophecy number 12 is um, the Messiah would bring about salvation of Gentiles. Yeah, will bring about salvation of Gentiles, okay? Turn with me to Psalm 22, verse 27. And when we turn to Psalms 22, verse 27, actually, do turn with me physically. Don't just only look at it now, because I also want to point out some more things in Psalm 22 here, okay? Uh, Psalm 22, verses 27, could I have first um, Anthony oh. read Psalm 22, verse 27? All the ends of the earth will remember and worship the Lord, and all the families of the nations will worship the Lord. Okay, yeah, thank you. Uh, we've already seen this psalm is messianic, okay? But now, this is incredible. It predicts that the suffering the Messiah has a global universal implication mm -hmm. to such a point that the families, some of your versions might translate this as tribes or of the nations, will worship before you. Do you understand what it means? That the work of Christ is universal. That will even bring Gentiles to know the Messiah, okay? But it doesn't stop there, okay? It says, for you light my lamp, right? And illuminate my darkness, okay? The saying, in the midst of darkness, the Messiah will be light. And by the way, the Messiah, dying on the cross, was there darkness? Yeah. Okay, if there's any one light moment in this, it's probably Jesus Christ himself, okay? 
uh, not not uh, literally, but I think spiritually. Okay, but also if you guys could, if you're still with me in Psalms 22, still also as well, look with me in verses uh, 43. You have delivered me from the contention of my people. You have placed me as head of the nations. Okay, so do you see that there's a foreign implication that the Gentiles? By the way, the word Gentile in in Hebrew is the word nations. Wait, is there a 43 or is it in the Psalms? 22, no, no, Psalms 22, 43, okay? The word Gentile in Hebrew literally means you, nation. You must tell because Psalms 22 only have 31. Oh, whoops. Whoa, did I read Psalms 18 and just happen to have that? Okay. Psalms 22, okay, wow. That's strange. But if you look with me in verses 27, 27, okay? No, what I said 27, I was like, oh, that didn't look right, okay? All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, mm. right? And worship before you, okay? Mm. And then it goes on. For the kingdom is the Lord and he will rule over the nations. Do you see that? That the nations he will rule over, that there will be implications of even the nations being brought to him. Okay, uh, and the, literally the word for nations there is goyim in Hebrew, which is Gentile. Okay, so let's look at the death of Christ. Do we see any Gentile being brought to faith? Turn with me to Mark fifteen verse thirty nine. Mark fifteen verses thirty nine. And the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw the way he greeted his death. He said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Okay. Yeah. By the way, a centurion is a soldier that's in charge of how many soldiers? Hundreds. How do you know this? Because the word sounds like century, right? One hundred, okay? That's almost the equivalent uh, in our military speak is the equivalent of what? In the Marine Corps, that's equivalent of what? Anthony? To uh, battalion? A company, yeah. Who's in charge of a company? What's the rank usually? Company commander is the billet, usually the rank captain. of a captain. Thank you, okay? Captains are majors, okay? Uh, usually reserve is majors, okay? How so, many more are in the battalion? The battalion is about uh, 900 to 1,000, depending on the mission. Usually infantry battalion is at, uh, 900 to 1,100 uh, with that, okay? So, uh, with that said, uh, this is what uh, a company commander, I think, is usually, I think in the military, is like when you have a lieutenant, it's like a second lieutenant, a gold bar. Do usually people have the greatest respect? Yeah. yeah. He's a rookie. He's new. Okay. So he listens to his sergeants a lot, and usually they do right in a good way. Okay. First lieutenant, oh, a little experience. Captains are like what? Are like war gods. Okay. They're they're at the point where they are been competent now. Okay. They're usually like the same level as like a sergeant experience. Yeah. Like the leadership. But much more responsibility, right? So by the point of captain, you know, is like wow. Okay. Uh, I remember when I was in Iraq, there was this one captain we had that every one of all the captains, of all the company commander, his, he has a pretty cool call sign. His company was called War Eagle. And everyone behind his back called him a war god, right? He just looks like one, right? He just looks crazy, okay? He kind of looked like a little bit like a Viking, okay? Because he has his mustache, okay? But anyways, I uh, bring this to say that this is, a centurion would have been a man with war experience, okay? He would have seen people have died quite a bit, Okay? And do you see what happened when you saw Jesus Christ died? Even though he saw many people died, whether execution, calling the execution of bad soldiers, uh, executing bad uh, Roman uh, people subjects, or going to war. This centurion, when he saw Jesus Christ on the cross, breathed his last, what did he say? This is the Son of God. He saw something the way Jesus Christ died different than anyone else he saw that he can't help but to say. This is the son. By the way, if you read the Gospel of Mark, we know in Mark chapter 1 already, in the introduction, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But no one else ever calls him the Son of God until the end of the book. And it's not in the mouth of his followers, the disciples. It's not in the woman that followed him. It's not even in another Jewish person who's not a disciple. It's in the mouth of a dirty, pig-eating Gentile. A Roman soldier that's involved with the killing and the murder of Jesus Christ himself who says this is the Son of God. That the death of Jesus Christ is so powerful that even without any other words, other the few seven words that Jesus Christ says, brings this man to say, truly, this is the Son of God. In other words, even in the death of his own death, Jesus Christ was already bringing a Gentile to, to come to faith, to be a believer in fulfilling as the first fruit of the prophecy of Psalms 22 uh, that we've seen, that the Gentiles, that the nations will come to be restored Messiah. Let's look at the last one. This will be the last one for the night. Uh, last one, point number 13 is what? 
Messiah would be buried in the rich man's grave. Okay, yeah. The Messiah. By the way, this one, no person will be able to control where you've been buried. You guys realize that? Okay. Some of us say, oh, when I'm buried, I'd like to be what? Cremated. And then your kids, oh, I love you so much. I, oh, I want to not get you cremated. I'm going to get you buy a big, huge coffin, okay? Or whatever. You, you can't. it's in the will. Yeah. But I'm just bringing an example. You can't control with that, okay? He's dead. And by the way, he's really dead, okay? Um, he's been crucified. You don't even know. His friends aren't even there. To, to be uh, burying him. Remember, his disciples ran away, okay? Isaiah 53, verse 9. For the sake of time, you guys just read the outline. Uh, the prophecy is this. His grave was signed with wicked men. Yet he was with a rich man in his death. Because he's done no violence, was there any deceit in his mouth, okay? Is it indicating that he'll be buried, but he'll be buried in a tomb of someone that is rich, okay? Turn with me now to Mark chapter 15, verse 43. It sounds like a contradiction. But I think it's not. It's because the extra, uh, it, it ordinary, extraordinary situation that he was in. Crucified and yet he was what? Messiah, okay? Uh, Mark 15, verse 43. Joseph of Arimathea came, a prominent member of the council. Stop there. The council is the Sanhedrin. This will be the body of 40 Jewish religious leaders that rule the Jewish uh, system, religious system, okay? He, he, though, was a believer, says he was waiting for the kingdom of God. And he gathered up courage and went up to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then it goes on, the rest of the part of 44 onwards, he buried him in what? In his own tomb. Now, in the, in the Sanhedrin, would he have been wealthy? Pretty well to do, okay? Because why? He was a leader, okay? With that. And he was a believer. And therefore, he didn't just let Jesus' body die on a grave or just throw it in the garbage, right? In the landfill, be eaten by dogs. But he buried him in a tomb. And therefore, this prophecy was fulfilled, okay? His prophecy was fulfilled. You know, the versions, they also say that he was like spiced and burned and all the expensive stuff was yeah. put on his body. Yeah, the spices prepare, preparation of all of that, okay? Very good, okay? Uh, they usually do that as a burial custom, they spice up the body. Uh, and then one year later, people would go back and then they would, now there's no more skin, all the organs, it dried up. Then they would bury the bone in these ossuary uh, boxes also as well, okay? Um, some archaeologists believe that we might have found the burial bone uh, a box of Jesus' brother, James. There's a stone that's been found uh, with that. That's James, the son of Joseph. Uh, and some people have done the probability of how popular the name is and what's the likelihood. It's hard to say, it's not, but this part is definitely for sure, okay? This part is definitely for sure that he came and he what? Died. For us, okay. Any questions at this point?